0: All right, good evening, everybody. We're going to be in 1 Thessalonians, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. I own a tanning bed. Yeah, it's in my basement. I just lie in there like a coffin all night long. No, I just, I, I've been outside all year this year. Um, doing, started off with that thing out there we were building, uh, the balance beam thing, and no one was around, so I took my shirt off, and I just, I just, like, oh, I remember what this is like. And so I've been outside a lot, a lot. No tanning booth. <laughs> pretty tan. Can I mention something, or would you rather me not? This was Lindsay's last night for us to lead worship on Wednesday night, so thank you. I know you don't do it for thanks, you do it to serve God, but we sure appreciate it. Thank you very much. I fired her, so uh, no, this is all her. Um, just a season, so anyway. Thank you very much. All right, First Thessalonians. We're going to try to get through the first three chapters here, um, keeping with our tradition of moving right on through. I want to start, though, if you'll let me, Acts chapter 17. I always go to Acts because that kind of lets us know where, where Paul uh, ran into these folks at Thessalonica, um, and then also where he would uh, write his letters from. And so if you turn to 1 Thessalonians, or sorry, Acts chapter 17, uh, I just want to read a few verses to you. So we kind of get the idea of where these folks were in his path. He is on his second missionary trip with Silas. Um, He just left um, uh, and got beat up um, at a former city here, and so now he's moved through. So these guys are coming. If you read chapter 16, you'll get all that. I don't want to go that far far back. Uh, If you read 16, you'll see how they get pummeled. Um, and then they find out later that they're Roman citizens, and then they're really sorry and ask him to go ahead and leave quietly. He says, "I'm not leaving quietly. You guys come and talk to us personally. You remember the story." So they've gotten beat up. So they come fresh off of that, and they walk into Thessalonica, verse one of chapter 17. Now, when they had passed through Amph- uh, um, Am- Amphipo- oh I can't pronounce it. Amphipolis, I'm going to. That's right, right. But we'll say that is tonight. Um, Ap- Apollonia. Uh, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them, and for three Sabbaths, that's three Saturdays, so four weeks probably, three Saturdays, Paul went into them for three Saturdays, reasoned with them from the scriptures, Old Testament only, there's no New Testament at this time, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, and saying, this Jesus, whom I preach to you, is the Christ, and some of them were persuaded, and a great multitude of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women, joined Paul and Silas. But the Jews who were not persuaded became envious took some of the evil men from uh, the marketplace and gathering a mob, set all the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason. That's where they were staying and sought to bring them out to the people. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason some of, and some brethren of the rulers, uh, to the rulers of the city, crying out, these who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Jason has harbored them. And these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king, Jesus. And they troubled the crowd and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. So when they had taken uh, security from Jason, so they took some uh, bail money, basically, and the rest, they let them go. Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. Just an interesting difference. There's no pigeonholing Paul the last place he went to, he says, no, I'm not walking out of here. I'm not slinking out of here. In this case, he leaves in the middle of the night, okay? This is the way it's going to be this time. Maybe they're still recovering from some broken bones and bruises and thought, you know, I'd rather not go through this again. I don't know. But they decided to leave. Now, last verse, or last two verses here. When they arrived, they went into the synagogues. Okay, that, Then brethren immediately sent Paul, Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. Remember Berea. We know this, we, we say it all the time, Bereans, be Bereans, we say. When they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more fair-minded than those of Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. And the only reason I bring that up and add the Berean thing to it is although he only preached three Saturdays there, these folks, as is the tradition, that they didn't just come and get three Bible studies and Paul's Bible studies were long. We're talking probably 6 to 12 hours long each time. They would go home after that and then search the scriptures to make sure everything was right. and everything. So they had Bible studies for 21 days, basically. Some with Paul, some without. But that's it. Three weeks or four weeks, maybe, tops. And Paul leaves them as a flourishing church. It says a lot about Paul's ability to teach. Um, it says a lot about their uh, intestinal fortitude, their guts to go on with the Lord, even though Paul, their leader, wasn't there. But that's why he writes this letter. It's only been three weeks or four weeks, and six months later, he says, we need to check up on these folks to see if they're doing okay, finds out how they're doing, they have some questions. And so he writes this letter to them to answer some of their questions about the doctrine, maybe some gaps or maybe some misunderstandings. And so he'll straighten these out here in this letter, one of two letters that he writes to them. So that's where we're coming from. Three, Four weeks with these people, he's left them, um, and now he writes this letter back to them. It says in verse 1, Paul, Silvanus, uh, that's Silas, and Timothy, those are the only three guys with him, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, or, uh, Paul here, uh, by the Holy Spirit, is pairing up those two often, and he'll do that throughout his letters because he wants them to make sure to call Jesus equal to God or to name him in the same sentence is okay. They needed to understand that Jesus was God come in the flesh. And so he'll do that a lot. Um, and the reason he doesn't bring up the Holy Spirit is obviously it's by the Holy Spirit this letter is written. And Jesus told us that when the Holy Spirit comes, he will come and testify of Jesus. He will not testify of himself. And so we can kind of see why he doesn't say the three. Now, Sometimes he does. He mentions the Holy Spirit, but in this case he doesn't. So let's him know that. We want to say hi to you, and you're in the Father, and you're in Jesus Christ. Um, Grace and peace to you. Now, that grace and peace always goes together. You'll see that grace first, then peace. Paul signs almost all of his letters that way. Because you need to know the grace of God before you have the peace of God. You can have peace with God. There's a difference. The peace with God, you kind of understand that God's not mad at you and that he's provided a way, but you still have this kind of legalistic relationship with him. And you think that you need to keep your salvation or do things to keep your salvation, to maintain it. But the peace of God is different. The peace of God is understanding grace. Um, it changes it from a legal relationship to a loving relationship. From a business contract to a marriage contract. Two different things. Um, and so now it's from love. And then you have that peace of God. And God wants us to have that peace. He, knows, he wants us to for sure know that we have, like in 9-6. Uh, um, is it Isaiah 9-6? I know. I know. I think it's Isaiah 96. I, I may not be accurate on that. But frontos a child is born, front a son is given, and so on. Um, he, he wants us to have that he, he's brought peace between God and man. We need to know that. And I think that's our first step towards salvation. That God has made a way for us to have peace with him. But he also wants to have the peace of God. That's assurance of our salvation. An assurance that God loves us. An assurance that I don't have to worry about losing my salvation based on my performance, my relationship with Jesus is what is my salvation. I believe that all my sins were nailed to the cross, past, present, and future, and I have that peace of God. And there's nothing like that in the world. When you have that peace of God in your heart, it's like, oh, what a relief. You know? And everybody's searching for it. The whole world is searching for it. Um, they all want that peace. Um, and we have it in, in Christ. Not the peace with God, which is important, but the peace of God, which causes us to rest in him. He's always wanting us to rest in him. Verse 2 We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, your labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of our God and Father. There he is, pairing him up again. Knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God, know that. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance. As you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. He mentions his prayer life again, that he is a prayer and that they pray for them. Not as much as he talked about other churches and how he prayed uh, constantly for them, but he makes mention of them in his prayers. He remembers them in his prayers. And that's important for us to remember people. Um, I, I, I trust the Holy Spirit to bring people to my remembrance. In fact, today when I was studying, I, I was in the middle of it. I was probably in the middle of chapter two. And, some people came to my mind, and I just started praying for them. I, I, I make note of that. Um, I figure if I'm in the Word of God, and I've asked Him, God, help me to understand this as I'm, as I'm studying, give me wisdom from your Holy Spirit, and these people pop up, I don't think they're a distraction. I think it's kind of part of it. Pray for these folks, and I do. Um, I want to pray for people as God brings them to my remembrance, and I, don't, I really don't worry about the ones He doesn't bring. Um, I, I used to have a list of people that I pray for, and that's, that's probably a really good idea to have, and um, but they kept getting longer and longer until pretty soon, well, no offense, but there's like 400 people that I'm praying for throughout the world, and it's like, well, I don't think so. I, but you can't even get through the names necessarily. And so I trust God to bring to remembrance those people I need to pray for at that time, and I can pray anywhere, anytime, and I do. Paul does that. I pray for you, and I remember you without ceasing. Your work of faith He remembers their work of faith. Look at these three things. Work of faith, labor of love, patience of hope. Those three should come, should should bring a bell to you. That's the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. What's the greatest? Uh, I want you to have these things. Faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. And he's telling them the same thing. Your work of faith, your labor of love, your patience of hope. And he combines those things. The first thing is that faith. Faith isn't a work, but it does produce a work. So my faith in Jesus Christ automatically produces a work in me. James was trying to explain that to us. When it says, you have faith, that's great, but show it to me. Uh, My faith should automatically produce a work. It should be coming out of me. There should be a change in my life and a change in my behavior. When there's not a change in my life or a change in my behavior, but I claim to have faith, and I say claim because faith without works is dead. It's a claim that I have faith. Um, I need to examine my faith. What do I have faith in? Is it a real faith? Is it a knowledge of faith? I know it exists. I know I'm supposed to have it, or, or do I have it? Because if I have it, then it changes the way I am. It changes the way I think. It changes the way I see things. It changes my actions, and so therefore it becomes a work, and it is work. It is work to trust God. It does produce in us an effort to work for God. Um, it isn't just automatic. It's, it's not a sitting in the back of the car, you know, getting, getting taken wherever God wants to take you. There, there's some things that we do. Um, I, I, I'm to put off the old man and to put on the new man. That, that's work. There's some effort. But that comes from my faith, okay, because I believe in Jesus. So the second thing here is a labor of love. Love is uh, the agape love that he's talking about here. And it's the greatest of the three that we're talking about. It's the most important. All of 1 Corinthians 13 rests upon the fact that if you do any of those things without love, it's worthless. Those are all good things to do, but without the right motivation, without love, they're of no value. And so motivation is everything. Why I do what I do. If it's motivated by love, it's perfect. It's a fulfillment of what Christ used to do. Um, and I say that because he now works through us. Of course, he still works without us, too. But when we're his hands and feet, and when we're multiplying and doing what he used to do by himself, now he does with us, it needs to be motivated from love. And that's a labor. There it is again. There's some sweat involved in that. When things are easy, it's wonderful to say, I'll serve God. Oh, my life has just been changed upside down. And I, right side up, I should say. Because that's what Christians say, you know, and well, everything's just falling into place. I want to serve God. That's great. And we should. But now, when it becomes a labor, though, do we still serve God? When things aren't great, when there's some resistance, when there are trials and tribulations that come our way, um, do we still labor? Is it a labor of love, you know? Um, I can't help but just think of. of and I, I don't mean to be sexist. It's it's all people that do this. When you have let's just leave it at that. When you have children, and you're a parent, there it is a labor of love. Oftentimes, sometimes it's great, and they just cheer you up, and they're just wonderful. Isn't that funny what they did? and I'm going to put that on Facebook. <laughs> and other times it's like I'm going to love these kids today. You know, I'm going to see them for who they are, and I'm going to love them, and I'm going to love them. You know. It's a labor, and you do, uh, you do love them it, it, with sincerity. It's not like you lost your love, but I still love them, but it's not because of what they're doing right now. It's because of God's gift to me to love them. I know that God's loving them through me. So there's a labor of love, and it, it is a labor. It's a work, and patience of hope, hope, and what he's talking about here, and he'll relate that at the end of this, uh, ver- of this chapter, chapter one, is they're waiting for Jesus Christ, they're waiting. And so you have to be patient in hope. The hope is, he's going, he's going to take me to heaven. If I go, it's, that's because I want to build a place for you. And if I go, I'm going to return. And I'm going to bring you to that place. I'm going to do that. It's a, it's a promise from God, which means it's absolutely set in stone. He will do it. And yet, until it happens, I'm hoping. I'm waiting for that. You know, um, I've won the lottery, you may say. My ticket's been certified. Um, uh, everything's done but that my bank account still says $12 on there You know, there's a hope it's a foregone conclusion but there's a hope that that's coming, I don't know why he's the lottery it's probably the worst example ever but when you come to Jesus Christ, I tell you what it's better than any lottery obviously you get to rule and reign with him and you inherit all things like he does and now we don't, I don't run Saturn, I'm looking forward to it, that's the one I've picked I don't know what you've picked, you can, I think it's dibs I think you can name it But I want Saturn, it's just the most, it's the coolest, why are there rings like that? Why isn't it just a big cloud of dust everywhere? Why is it just this thin layer? Why? I want to know, you know, what what caused that? It doesn't make any sense to me. Anyway, uh, I hope for that, and it's in patience, and it does take patience. It takes patience to wait. It takes patience to continue working in faith, laboring in love, and waiting for Christ. It takes patience. It takes enduring, you know. We endure a lot. And so patience. And, and he tells us, let patience have its perfect work. And he does want us to be patient and to wait for him um, and to rely on him. I, you can't help but think of about the worst example in the Bible of someone who just didn't have enough patience. And you'd think they had. After 20 years, Abraham and Sarah waited for a baby. 20 years. And then they got tired of waiting. You know, and they said, well, I don't know if this is exactly 20. That's when Isaac came. But somewhere in there, how, how long did they have to wait before they decided to go with Hagar? You'd think I'd know this stuff as a pastor, but I forgot. Years. Well, they got tired of waiting because they thought it was impossible, and they went ahead and brought the slave girl in or her handmaid in, Hagar, and had a, had a baby uh, and, and kind of wished they hadn't. Kind of wished they'd had a little more patience. And I keep that in mind when I get in a hurry, you know. Oh God, when are you going to bring this about in my life? I'm waiting till Thursday, you know. And after Thursday, I'm going to birth this thing. I'm going to make it happen. And oftentimes, we wish we'd never done that and just waited for the patient, or patiently for the promise of God. Patience. In our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of our God and Father. Knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. That means he chose you. That's what that means. God chose you to be saved. And throughout the scriptures, he tells us that. That's a great thing, um, that God chose us. Um, I'll, I'll tell you this ahead of time, unless you think I'd become a Calvinist or something. I, he never talks about his election or his His choosing us or ordaining us without talking about his foreknowledge. He always those two together um, that God foreknew and Romans 8, 28, 29 actually is, is the best for, for whom he foreknew um, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Um, uh, you were not uh, forced upon God. God chose you, but he chose you based on his foreknowledge that you'd choose him. And so we see that working hand in hand, but don't be, that's exciting. God's given us choice. Why wouldn't he have choice? You know, I chose Jenny. Jenny chose me back, kind of thing. She didn't have to. Hopefully, your your proposal was in the form of a question. You kind of make sure, though, don't you guys, before you pop the question that she's going to say yes? You ever seen those YouTube videos of the guys that didn't confirm before they got out on the floor on the jumbotron and do it? Kind of funny. I mean, it's horrible. You shouldn't laugh at the guys. He's devastated. But you know what? You kind of asked for it, you know? You want an honest answer, here you go. She looks at him, she goes, no. And she runs away and he's standing in the middle of court going, oh. She had an option and she chose B, right? God chose us, but he also gives us the choice to choose him. Gives us the uh, the opportunity to choose him back. And so he, he elected us. And he wants them to know that. He doesn't spend as much time on it as I do. I want you to know that you've been elected by God. That's a good thing. You've been chosen by God. They know what that means to be a chosen people. And then to be chosen by Jesus Christ to be saved, to be a part of it, to be included, that's a big deal. They understood what it meant to be chosen. Um, and that should have encouraged them. What Paul is trying to do in, Thessalon- in the Thessalonian letter here is to establish them and to firm them and get their roots just a little deeper today. You know? And hopefully the same will happen for us. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. And he's going to describe what kind of men they were here in a minute. But when they came to share the gospel, it wasn't just words. Philosophies are words. Those are just words. We can take Plato or we can throw Plato away. You can take Socrates, you can throw Socrates away. Those are just words. They may be right, they may be wrong, makes no difference, but my life is not going to be changed one iota whether I receive their wisdom or not. doesn't make any difference. Those are just philosophies. On the other hand, the gospel, the good news, it comes in power, or it should come in power unless we treat it like a philosophy. It is the answer from God. It's ordained by God. It was his idea. It is the only idea. It is the only way of salvation. And so when you come with those words, it best be coupled up with God's Holy Spirit when you share those words. Otherwise, they're just words. And people will receive them like Socrates, Plato, and Jesus and put them in the same cap. In fact, some people did that. Remember, Jesus would ask the guys, who do men say that I am? You're a prophet or you're a great rabbi or a great teacher because they hadn't mixed it with faith. And perhaps they hadn't heard it by the power of the Holy Spirit yet. I don't know. But they had mixed him up with some other people. And he says, who do you say that I am? And What did Peter say? Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then what did Jesus say right after that? Flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you. That came from the the Holy Spirit. That came from the Father. That came from God. He revealed that to you. The gospel can go out to a group of people, and we see that in the Bible, and you've maybe experienced that in your own life, to a bunch of people, and half receive and half don't. Or, if I'm lucky, one receives and the rest don't. But that one person who received by the Holy Spirit, it was revealed to them that this is the truth. It's got to come by the Holy Spirit. Now, we want the Holy Spirit moving in our fellowship and in the church of God. We want that to be, we want Him to have freedom to do that. But the Holy Spirit moves through individuals. Very important to understand that. Um, the church is made up of a group of people. And there may be one or two in the church that are filled with the Holy Spirit, operating by the power of the Holy Spirit, but the church doesn't look like it. Well, everybody needs to walk that way. Everybody. It's individual. You each, have to, each of us has to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. I have to share the gospel in the power of the Holy Spirit. I have to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. so important that we have the Holy Spirit and we allow Him to Use us when it's appropriate, when it's the right time. Um, Several times, Paul wants to go to this place or wants to go to that place and is forbidden by the Holy Spirit. He's led that way. Now, if it's just in word only, it's just a matter of saying, well, how do we get around this obstacle? And let's get the word to those people no matter what happens. And we kind of bulldoze our way over there, and there's no fruit. You kind of think, well, what happened? I thought the power of the gospel, the power of the gospel is there's timing involved and it's by the power of the Holy Spirit. It has nothing to do with bulldozing your way anyplace. Um, Sharing the gospel is very, very easy when the Holy Spirit is organizing it, when he's doing it. When the Holy Spirit puts it on your heart to share with one person, you may get nervous about that But you don't need to be because that prompting of the Holy Spirit means he's working on the other side as well. And all I need to do is be obedient. Now, I'd like to see that. Wouldn't that be great if we had little bubbles above our head and we could see, oh, yeah, I can see like a light beam or something coming off somebody who's being worked on by the Holy Spirit. That'd be great. He doesn't give us that. That's walking by sight, not by faith. By faith is to hear the Holy Spirit say, you need to speak with that person, and you do, and they look at you and respond and say, that's amazing, fill in the gap you know and then you're, you're ha oh, that's great isn't God great and then you tell everybody the story I mean the person got saved but you tell them the story what do you tell them you tell them about the time when God spoke to you was already working on the other end and it's exciting to tell that story and God wants us to do that because what does that what does that cause the other people to feel the other Christians that you tell you wouldn't believe what happened and you're like really and the instant thought is I wonder if he'll do that with me Why doesn't he do that with me? I don't know. Why doesn't he do that with you? Or does he? You know? And we just don't go. Or we talk ourselves out of it or think that was my voice. And that can happen. I'm not going to pull any wool over your eyes. It can happen. You can get so excited and think, I think God wants me to share with that person. And you run over there and hey, you know, Jesus loves you. Get out of here, you loser. Hmm. You got to think that through, you know. (laughs) Now, maybe that was always going to be their response, and you were prompted by the Holy Spirit, or you got presumptuous and got excited, and so we do. We learn to hear our shepherd's voice. It takes time. It takes experience to learn that, and you know what? What you do by faith, God honors, and and, and I'll go out on a limb here. I could probably find some scriptures to to back this up, because I think it's true. This is what I've experienced. When I make a mistake, but it's been made in faith, God always covers it for me. He just does. He's been very faithful in my life. To, when I step out and think, I, and I'm honest with him, I think you've told me to do this, I'm going to go do it. If I'm wrong, I'm sorry ahead of time. And I'll go do it. And it flops. And I look up and he says, you know, listen better. Work on that. You know? What was wrong with that scene? How did it? And you go over it in your mind. God honors that faith. He doesn't beat me up. He likes the fact that we're trying to walk by faith. He likes the fact that we're making an effort, that we're doing a labor of love, a work of faith, a patience of hope. Something, you know, in our walk with Jesus. So, in much assurance, he says, and we came to you, a certain kind of men. And here's what he says, verse six: and you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction, with joy of the Holy Spirit. There should have been joy. The Holy Spirit brings joy. He brings conviction, of course, but the conviction is not a beat down. The conviction is always coupled with the gospel. Yes, you've done this. Yes, you're guilty, but there's hope and there's a solution and God's provided it and it's this easy and amazing and free for you that should bring joy. It's like hearing all at once, you're absolutely guilty of a life sentence, but right in my other hand is a pardon you get to get out. It's a mix of emotions for sure, but it ends up with freedom and joy. So that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. For from you, the the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. This is, this is six months later. This four weeks with the church, it gets planted. Six months later, everybody knows about Jesus all around, and Paul's already heard a good report from these folks. No don't need to wait to be used of God. Just tell them what you know. Don't tell them what you don't know. Tell them what you know. Well, you know, is God so big? I don't know, but I know that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. What else do you know? It's all I got right now. Worked for me. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, it'll work for you too. Bye. I mean, it doesn't have to be that complicated. Paul was confident enough in the Holy Spirit work in their lives that he was able to leave them after four weeks knowing that they'll be fine. They'll be fine. Now, six months later, he decides to follow up with them because he knows they have some questions. But for the most part, I'm hearing good things. They're moving and they're evangelizing and telling people about what they've heard. It's exciting. I've heard it everywhere. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait, there's that patience, for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come, waiting for them. At the end of the first four chapters of this book, he talks about waiting for Jesus to come. He instilled that in them. Paul, several times, is saying, you know, we, we, run, we run across some of his advice, hey, you can get married if you want to, but I wouldn't, we don't have time, basically is what he said. You know, you're better to be single, because he's coming any day now. And he walked that way. Now, over time, he realizes, well, maybe he's not coming back as fast as I thought he was, but he never took that away from them. That Jesus could come back at any moment and so live that way. And he reiterates that here. Imagine what his teaching was like. For four weeks, he already gets into eschatology. We don't even know how to spell. Well, I can't spell that word probably. But he gets into eschatology talking about the future and what Jesus is going to do and when he's going to come. In fact, his gospel, it was Jesus came. He lived and ministered. He died on the cross, he rose again, but he's coming back. It was all together. He never left that last part off when he should tell tell people about the gospel. And he's coming back soon for us. Oh, and they lived that way to the point where we don't have time. Let's go tell everybody about Jesus. And they did, you know. So there's that patience of hope. Chapter two, for you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain or wasn't wasted time. But even after we had suffered before uh, and were spitefully treated in Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you, the gospel of God, in much conflict. they, They remember them walking into town all beat up and tattered, you know, bruised and still recovering from their wounds from Philippi. For our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it deceit. That's probably what they're being accused of by the Jews that would follow them around. They're, they're, uh, they're, they're unclean, they're in error, uh, and they're deceitful. Now that's not true, he says. None of that's true. But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak for covetousness. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. We could have showed up, hello, we're the apostles, you're welcome. But he didn't, and they didn't. They said, we didn't. We came in as men who've been entrusted with the gospel, and we shared it like we're we're serving God, not men. And you know that. You've got that witness from us. Um, But we were gentle among you, just as nursing mothers cherish her own children. That's how they came to them that's important. I don't have to come in like a bulldozer or you know, a wrecking ball into someone's life. Some people think that that's how you share the gospel. You've got to wreck them, and then God can rebuild them. Um, I don't think so. That's not how I operate anyway. Um, that's not how I read it. Um, of course there needs to be conviction. Of course God does need to break down and, and show us our sin. But it's never to destroy us. Um, it's always to build us up. It always follows that. And so we see Paul here says, when I came to you and you didn't know you were worshiping idols, how easy would it have been for Paul to come in and say, you group of people, don't you know, and you need Jesus and he's going to, and that's, that is a method for sure. And it, it does, it is effective sometimes. I'll have to be honest with you, some people respond to that. They need a slap in the face and it works, but Paul doesn't do that. He says, I came to you like a mother cherishes her own children. In other words, he knew that what they were doing was they were doing in ignorance. And ignorance isn't a bad word. Ignorance just means without knowledge. I don't know. I am ignorant about a great many things in this world. I I am ignorant about more things than I know about. Okay? Hopefully everybody understands that. And we're all guilty of that or, or in the same boat. Paul understands they're just being childish. They're worshiping idols because they haven't heard the truth. Now, once they hear the truth, you might have a different tone with them. You, know? you might want to let them know. Jesus says, kick the dust off your feet if they reject the truth. That's fine. But until they know and until they've heard it, and it's coming from love, and it's coming without hypocrisy, and it's coming from holiness and from love in your life, by the power of the Holy Spirit, it should work. Like a mother cherishes her own children, a nursing mother. That's how Paul relates himself, a nursing mother. So affectionately longing for you. We were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become dear to us. Um, for you remember, brethren, our labor and toil for laboring night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. We preached to you the gospel of God. In other words, we worked and never took a dime from you. We didn't put on a box, we didn't pass a plate, we didn't hint, we worked so that you could hear the gospel for free. Now, on a side note here, uh, they did receive aid from Philippi while they were here, and that's in Philippians chapter 4, verse 16. Paul thanks them for the aid that they sent him while they were in Thessalonica. So they were missionaries, and they were getting some from another church. But when it comes to sharing the gospel for the first time with a group, until they get established, you don't want to do that. It's got to be free. They may later on be able to support you, and maybe Thessalonica did support them later on in their missionary trips. We know that he took money from several churches and brought it to Jerusalem. But for the most part, Paul, a single guy, making tents, that was his occupation, just made a few tents, took the income, bought some bread, maybe some water. He was good. But we see them expand upon this later on when he says, he writes a letter and he explains to them, isn't it okay that we bring along believing wives? Is that, a, is that a bad thing? Now, Paul wasn't married, but Peter was. He says, why, why can't we bring along believing wives? In other words, why can't we do this? He had to challenge him on that. It, it's noble to start off with not, and you should. The gospel needs to be free. Whatever happens from there happens. But for the most part, you've got to come into a group and say, oh, we're not charging you a dime. We're not here to make it. We're not, we're not selling the gospel to you. It is just for you to get saved. Great. And then later on, Philippi decides to, out of the goodness of their heart, support Paul in this missionary trip. So it, later on, it's okay. I mean, that's important. I think when we started this, I don't, I don't have the books in front of me. Um, we let someone else do the books now. I did the books for years. Oh my goodness, what a nightmare. I mean, like ledgers, like the old-fashioned. I had a red pen, a black pen, and a blue pen, and I was doing it. And I'm going, okay, receipts and all that. And I'm like, ugh. I'd spend a day trying to keep track of what I did and what I didn't do, and math is not Ledger math is the hardest math, I guess. I don't know. Balancing. I think for the first six or seven years, we didn't take anything. We just didn't. Um, and, then we, and then at times, we'll, we'll take a salary when we thought, oh, you know, we get excited. Oh, you know, there's $300 in the box. We'll take $100 this week. Is this exciting? Oh, yes. You know, we get excited. And then next week, there wasn't anything in the box. Oh, okay, we'll give it back, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. Um, and we, a couple of times we'd do that, and then I'd work at a factory for a while, and then I'd try to take a salary again and be a full-time pastor, and then, okay, go back to a factory again. And we did that off and on, you know, um, until now. Uh, well, I, I have another job now, and I've always tried to do that, um, so it wasn't too much of a burden, but I've been a burden, you know. Just no mistake about it, after six years, we've been trying to be a burden on you people as long, but it doesn't work out very well a lot of times. Um, so I think... We tried to do this. We tried to follow this example. Um, and so for the first six or seven years, I don't remember how long it was, we didn't, we didn't take anything. Um, because it needed to be free. There couldn't be an agenda. I'm not an entrepreneur. You know, I heard that at a pastor's conference a long time ago. I, I think Joe Foch is the one that shared it, and it really stuck with me. He goes, guys, and he's talking to all of us senior pastors at the time. He says, guys, we're, uh, we're servants of God. We're not entrepreneurs. And it kind of struck me, I can see how easily that could flip a switch in a pastor's mind that I'm building a business. I'm building a company. Because a lot of these guys came from that background. They're go-getters. They just go ahead and start stuff. And here we go. We're gonna plant a church. Here's what we're gonna do. Here's how we're gonna market it. Here's you know, a business plan. And it probably works, you know, for the most part. But he wanted them to get there, he Joe wanted to get a hold of our hearts and remind us, guys we're not entrepreneurs. And, you know, Paul just is such a great example of that. He was industrious. Um, if they could support him, great. I'll take some money from Philippi. But if not, it makes no difference. I've learned to abound, and I've learned to be abased. It doesn't matter. We're still going to serve God. Um, that doesn't change the calling. Verse 10, you are witnesses, and God also, how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behave ourselves among you who believe. As you know how we exhorted and comforted and, and charged every one of you as a father does his own children, there he switches from mother to father, that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom of glory. So he first cherishes them like a little child, like a, like a nursing mother cherishes her child to receive the gospel. But after that, he says, then I was like a dad and says, you guys need to walk worthy. You're carrying the name of the most high God. Now walk in holiness, be holy for I'm holy. And he encouraged him in that. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is, in truth, the word of God, which so effectively works in you who believe. They were so excited to have them just listening and soaking it up, you know. Um, They received it as the word of God, not as a philosophy of men, you know. Um, And they were so encouraged by that. And because they know, not because, oh, finally, someone really believes us for who we are. They didn't care about the reputation they ever did, but they knew that if the Word of God is received like it's the Word of God, I don't mean to be redundant there, but if you read this book like it's not a book, but receive it as the Word of God, you're going to benefit. And he knew that. He was excited. We had a neighbor over in Tarkia when we first came down here to plant this work. Uh, Mike was his name. Good guy the nicest guy, unbelievably noble, just noble, super noble, and boy, we're going to witness to him. Here's our first neighbor, you know, mission field, and so we started witnessing to him. He had this big black lab named Otto, and Otto had that big square head. Makes no difference. Let's move on, but we would walk his dog for him when he was on vacation, run his dog. We'd get out of the car, put him on a dirt road, and just ride with him because this dog would just run forever, you know, so we'd just follow him because he couldn't keep up. And we'd bring them back, and Mike was great, and he'd come over and bring us some dove breasts that he shot while he was on vacation, like dove breasts there, and they're really good. And Jenny's like, you know, because we don't, you know. Then we ate them, and they were really great. He went to college, though. He'd gone to college. And when we tried try to get to that place where we could get past the dove and past Otto and past the neighbor thing and share with him about Jesus, he says, yeah, 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 I sure love that book. Well, you do. Great, you know, you're thinking, you know, put a notch in my belt here pretty soon. You know, this guy might get saved. Yep, I remember studying uh, the book of Job in poetry class. What a great literary piece of work. You know, not mixed with faith, not by the Holy Spirit. It was just a book. Read it, absorbed it, thought about it, wrote papers on it, but it never got into his heart. And I don't know if he's saved to this day. He moved away from us and we moved away from him over here and that was the end of it. Um, still pray for him. Still a great guy. One of the, I mean, you trust him with your life. Amazing person, but didn't, didn't receive Christ. Didn't receive Jesus. Uh, so there's the difference and that's why Paul's excited. They welcomed it, not as the word of man, but as it is the truth, the word of God, which is so effectively working in you who believe. For you, brethren... Became imitators of the churches of God, which are in Judea, in, in, in Christ Jesus. For you also suffer the same things from your own countrymen. In other words, the Jews, Jews came in and, and started wreaking havoc in their church too, just as they did uh, from the Judeans, who killed both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us. And they do not please God and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they may be saved. So as always, to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them to the uttermost, that wrath. The wrath he was speaking of at the end of chapter one, and the wrath he's speaking of here is is about the same. He's talking about the wrath of God. God is going to deliver us from the wrath, his wrath that's coming during the great tribulation period. We're delivered from that. Um, we don't get and the reason I say it, some people are like mid-trib, post-trib, pre-tribulation believers, and what that means is, God is either going to take the church before the tribulation, God's going to take the church in the middle of the tribulation period, the seven-year hard time period, or at the end. um, I don't know how it couldn't be at the beginning before the great tribulation, and that's where all Calvary chapels stand. It's always going to be before, and here's why. Because the wrath that comes during that seven-year period is the wrath of God upon a Christ-rejecting world. And if I'm a believer in Jesus and he saved me from my sins to the uttermost, I can't have any wrath, whether that's at the great white throne judgment or during the great tribulation period. They're both God's wrath. I'm saved from that. I can't experience any of God's wrath. Otherwise, Christ didn't die for all of my sins. I think it's, in my opinion, blasphemous to say that I have some of God's wrath coming towards me. Um, I don't. Um, I can't. Otherwise, Christ didn't fulfill on the cross what he said he fulfilled. It is finished. It's complete. Um, And so the wrath he's talking about here, I believe, and you'll get to that in chapter 4 and 5, is the great tribulation period, the wrath of God. Verse 17. But we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, in other words, we're still with you, endeavored more eagerly to see your face with great desire. Therefore, we wanted to come to you. Even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us, and he does sometimes. That's hard to know. When is it the Holy Spirit forbidding us to go? And when is it Satan forbidding us to go? Um, I think you know by the way it happens. Um, but uh, you know, I think on the boat when they were going across with Jesus, the disciples were going across the the um, the Sea of Galilee to go minister to those demoniacs, the two demoniacs over in the um the naked guys running around over there, um, then the storm came up and, and 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 Jesus said, "Peace be still and it was still and they they got to the other side. You know the story, and then they 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 delivered these two Jesus did, and they these two guys minister in the decapolis and get them all saved. That was a work of Satan forbidding, and Jesus knew you got, they're in the way, kind of thing um, but other times when you see Paul stopping them or um you know Paul Paul said, the Holy Spirit forbid us. He, he made it in such a way that you just you can't get it done. Your hearts were pure, your motives were pure, you wanted to serve God, but you just can't get there. Um, I that probably didn't help you at all. Um, either way, you're forbidden to go. Paul knows um, that his desire to go see them and be there Satan hindered us. Now maybe that was because it was a mob that put him in prison or bars. We know that's not God's will, but you know, it's, 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 a, it's a stirring of the flesh and, and Satan was stirring people up to put them in jail. And so, anyway, they were forbidden to come. He wants them to know, regardless, um, that he wants to see them. Therefore, we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us for what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? That is our, that's our payment. That's everything to us. Your growth but your salvation, you standing there with Jesus, and they were looking forward to that. That's why they ministered the gospel, not to grow their influence, not to grow their church, not to grow, you know, whatever. They wanted the church to grow so that when Jesus came, there were more people standing there. That's all that mattered. That's all that mattered. For you are our glory and joy. That's what makes us happy. That's what makes us tick. Chapter three is short. We can do it. We've got five and a half minutes. Ready? Therefore, when we could no longer endure it, they just couldn't hold off anymore. We thought it good to be left in Athens alone and send Timothy, our brother and minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith, that no one should be shaken by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. Our afflictions, our beatings, our jail time, all this, that's a part of the calling, That's what that labor of love, that patience of hope, that's where that stuff falls into place, that work of faith. We understand that a calling from God means there's going to be some suffering. I think when someone is having a great life and God has straightened things out, if you want to keep it that way, don't serve God. I'm being facetious, obviously. But to think that everything's going to remain beautiful and peaceful when you begin to poke the enemy... When you begin to snatch people out of the jaws of f- the fiery hell that he's trying to take them to, he's going to resist you. Things are going to happen. Things are gonna, he's going to try, try to do all sorts of stuff to you. He's going to try to get in between you and your wife. He's going to try to get between you and your kids, you and your employer. He's going to mess with people that way. If that doesn't work, he's going to mess with you physically. He's going to take away some health. Anything to get you distracted from the calling that you have upon your life to serve God. He'll do that. Be careful of that. Paul says, we're called to this. Don't be discouraged that we're in jail. We kind of plan on it. If we don't go to jail, we might have done something wrong here. Maybe we weren't loud enough, you know. Maybe we didn't poke the right people. But boy, when we've done it right, boy, we know it. We can't move for a week. You know, we're stiff from the beat down we took. Not every time, but for the most part. I mean, he had a traveling physician with him. This guy just kept going back into the ring, you know. For in fact, we told you before when we were with you that we would suffer tribulation. That's different from the great tribulation. The great tribulation is God's wrath. Tribulation in this world is Satan's wrath. Two different things. This is the little T, the little thing that's upon our life. It's a calling on our lives as Christians. Just as it happened, and you know... For this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter had tempted you and our labor might be in vain. Is that a lack of faith on Paul's part? They find out how they're doing. I just, I'm just really hoping that Satan didn't get to them and they've walked away from him, that they've walked away from Jesus. Go find out how they're doing, Timothy. Does that mean it can happen? It does. It does. It means that the tempter can come into a person's life or a church's life and begin to stir things up or begin to divide or begin to whisper in their ears and start to pull it apart. Satan wants to abort the work of God. He would love to tear it limb for limb and remove it from being born, from flourishing, from growing. It's up to us to know when that's happening, to pay attention to that. When things are done in dark, when they're done with a whisper, be careful. Be careful. God doesn't work in a whisper. He doesn't do that. And nor does he do it in the dark. He does it in full light. Um, And we've got to pay attention to that. On the other hand, Paul knows that he's effective. By these beatdowns that he gets, he knows that he is messing with the enemy. And I like that. When you become effective, that's when you get the attacks. Otherwise, you're of no consequence to Satan. Well, they're really not doing anything. Who really cares? Let them alone. They're not affecting the kingdom. But he will attack those who are affected. He will bring it on them. And so, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Peter tells us that. Count it all joy. Um, That means we're effective. Verse 6, but now that Timothy has come to us from you and brought us good news of your faith and love, and that you always have good remembrance of us, that's a relief to him. All he hears, remember he had to write to the Corinthian church? What a terrible letter to have to write. Hey, we heard some things that you think that were creepy and evil. You know, we just wanted to establish ourselves again with you. Do we need letters of recommendation to send to you? Do you need our credentials? Do you need to know? Um, do we need to remind you of these things? What a, what a horrible letter to have to write. Don't you remember how we came to you? Don't you remember how this started? To think Now? then I'm evil to think now that I'm not walking with the Lord? I'm not led of the Spirit, that we're not doing God's will now? Are you sure? When he comes and hears this back from Timothy, Timothy says, oh man, they're worried about you, Paul. They're worried about your afflictions. He's, oh, they love us. What a relief to hear, you know? They're praying for us. They, uh, they're worried about our afflictions and our distress. Therefore, brethren, in all our afflictions and distress, we were comforted concerning, uh, concerning you by your faith. For now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. That's all we needed to do. That was the breath of fresh air we needed in this stinky, dark cave that we're in, this jail cell that we're in. We heard that you're doing well. Ah, we live. For what thanks can we render to God for you? For all the joy with which we rejoice for your sake before our God. Night and day, praying exceedingly that we may see your face and perfect what is lacking in your faith when you read that stuff, it makes you think, what's he saying? Well, he just wants to get back and share more with them. He wants to fill in the gaps they may have. In other words, they have what they need. They're saved. They're walking with the Lord. They're evangelizing. But boy, I'd like to teach you more so that you're more grounded and stable and steadfast and, and really, really immovable. You know? There's roots to be had. There are branches to grow. There's fruit to bear. And Paul knows that. So we can't wait to see you again. Verse 11, and we'll close here. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. We pray that he helps us get to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. It's the third time in three chapters He's had got them looking up to the coming of Jesus. Okay, So that's how we want to leave here tonight, looking up to Jesus and knowing that God's going to bring it about. That's my prayer. God, bring about my path. Bring about my next steps. You bring it about. Don't let me bring it about. You bring it about. Help me not to pound down the door. like That's what Paul's praying. I pray that he directs our way to you. And I pray that you increase, abound in love. You can't go wrong with that. If you increase and abound towards love, towards one another and to all, just as we do to you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness. That's where holiness comes from. There's a key there. How do I get to be more holy? Love more. Love more. All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for letting us get through this letter, the three chapters anyway. We'll finish it up next week, provided that's your will. That's our hope. That's our plan anyway. But God, thank you for it. He spent three chapters, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, just encouraging them in the past. And now as we move into the second part of this letter, the chapters four and five, Lord, we know that he's going to encourage them in the future um, and what to look forward to, to establish them, that what they're doing is right and to continue to look up. Lord, we do. We look up to you. We see some crazy stuff going on in our world right now. We see division like we've never seen division before. We see men in politics. We see countries moving and changing. We see everybody's in an uproar right now about a great many things. And God, uh, as ambassadors from heaven witnessing all this, we look up to you. We're excited to see you come quickly, Lord. We don't know when it's going to come. We know that all this, uh, all this can change on a dime. All this can just culminate together um, into one giant puzzle being fit together, and all of a sudden, there's the Antichrist. And uh, we know that we'll be gone right before he shows up, and we're excited and looking forward to that. So God, help us to live like that. We may be excited about the change that our country's taken, and, and I am, admittedly. Um, I love it that the fact that there's more freedom and there's more liberty, and we're, we're moving away from the sins of our fathers, and uh, that's exciting to me. We've been praying for that, but I know that that's not how it ends. We don't end well. Um, the world does not end well. Um, it gets so bad that you remove us as a church, as a body of believers, and, and you bring wrath. Um, for the hearts of men are against you continually. Um, and so, God, thank you. Thank you that we have hope in you. Uh, we don't have hope in this world. Thank you that you've allowed us to be in your ministry, ministering to as many people as we can. That's exciting. Um, help us to live that way, like you could come even tonight, God. Um, knowing that tomorrow is not promised at all. We look forward to your coming. We wait for your coming. We we want to wait patiently. Um, Help us to labor in love, um, to work um, that that faith that you've given us um, that works in our lives. Help us, Lord, to see and to be led by your Holy Spirit. Fill us to overflowing with your Holy Spirit For for effective ministry, God. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Baptize us. Give us all the gifts necessary of your Holy Spirit that we might be able to minister your gospel in power, not in word only but in power. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need prayer before you go, be glad to pray with you. Come on up. Um, Otherwise, have a good rest of the week.